What happened Shavuos by the Rebbe? There were a lot of Fabrengans in a short amount of time. That's the answer. I'm asking myself, what, what's, what can I tell you special about a, about a particular Shavuos? I have memories, but nothing that I feel like is instructive, you know. But that's what Shavuos was. Shavuos by all the was a two-day Yom Tif, and somehow around that Yom Tif, there was so much Torah. By the Rebbe, I'm learning that my modem from Tavshin Lamed Vav. That's the year that I'm learning. So you had a Maimir of Shabbos Mavarchim. You had a Maimir of Shabbos Reish Chodesh. The Rebbe fabringed Ed of Yom Tif. The Rebbe fabringed Motzei Yom Tif. And he usually fabringed the Shabbos after also. So in a, in a span, depending on the arrangement of days, a span of eight days, ten days, you could have five maimodim. That's how Shavuos was. By the earlier Rabbeim, it was even more. And by I Rebbe also, this is something that people don't realize, that for the first 20 years of the Rebbe's Nesiyas, the Rebbe used to eat the Sudas upstairs in the apartment of the Alter Rebbe's, the Fidik Rebbe's Rebbe's. During that time, the Rebbe didn't go home to Sudas Yom Tif. After the Alter Rebbezin passed away, the Rebbe would go home for Sudas Yom Tif. Once the Rebbe went home, he didn't come back to 770. But during those 20 years, which finished in Tafshan Lamid, 1970, the Rebbe ate the meal upstairs, he went downstairs in his room, and he stayed in his room. So 3 o'clock in the morning, the Rebbe walked out of his room, walked into the show, sat down, and said a maimed. It was one of the rare occasions where the Rebbe said a maimed without a fabrengen. Usually, the tradition of Chabad was that the Rebbe said a maimed as an entity unto itself. The Rebbe said a maimed as part of a fabrengen. One of the rare occasions when there was a maimed that was not connected to any sikhist was Lil Shavuos. It would walk into the show. I don't even think they'd sing a nigan. It would just sit down and start to speak like this. And this probably started Yud Bezer, Yud Gimel, the first, second, or third year of the Rebbe's Nesiyas. And it continued until Tavshan Lamas. There was another maimed. But by the other Rebbeim, Shavuos is three nights, yeah? So there was a Maimed the first night, that means the night of Tikkun. There was a Maimed the second night, the Maimed the third night. And there's Maimed Shabbat before, and the Shabbos after. Tzemach Tzedek used to say Chassidus, before Lich Pension. Out of Yom Tov, he said a Maimed, then a Benayim said another Maimed, the next night another Maimed. Shavuos was packed with Teireh, by the Rabbeim. And by the Rabbeim was packed with Fabrengians. Mamish, packed with Fabrengianishim. There was a Fabrengian Shabbos Mavarchim, right? Then this year, Shabbos is Erev Shavuos, right? Bringing Shabbos Mavarchim, there was a Fabrengian Erev Shavuos, was bringing Matzah Shavuos, was bringing the Shabbos after. And sometimes the Rebbe found an excuse to say another Fabrengian still. There was a Yid whose name was Zalman Jaffa. Zalman Jaffa. He probably has grandchildren in this room. Zalman Jaffa's time to come to the Rebbe official was Shavuos. I remember him coming every Monday and Wednesday. <laughs> Monday and Thursday. He was here all the time in my years. But for many years he was Shavuos. It was his, he was a Shavuos dicker. You know, Chassidim Amalek used to identify themselves by the Yom Tov that they came to the Rebbe. One would say, Ich bin a Rosh Hashanah dikir, I'm a Rosh Hashanah dikir. Another one would say, Ich bin a Yom Kippur dikir, I'm a Yom Kippur, Ich bin a Simchas Teireh dikir. And the, there were a lot of Chassidim, they're Yom Tov Shavuos. Zalman Yaffa, I don't know if it was his idea or it was the Rebbe's idea, he came to the Rebbe Shavuos probably beginning from the early 60s. And there were a number of very beautiful things about his coming to the Rebbe. Number one, the Rebbe told him that Yom Tif is v'samachta v'chagecha, ato, v'besecha, to you and your wife and your children. The Rebbe says you cannot come to the Rebbe without your wife. 
because you're going to be missing the mitzvah of Simchas Yom Tov with your wife. So Mrs. Jaffe always came. They came as a couple. And the Rebbe hosted them. That's so interesting. The Rebbe had an apartment. <laughs> the Rebbe had an apartment, two apartments. When they bought 770, the buildings, you know, if, if you look at 770, 770 is a house. Next to that house is two apartment buildings. Those two apartment buildings are full of offices. There was a time that there was a plan in those office buildings to build um, Adidas, apartments. They would belong to the Rebbe that would be specified for the Rebbe's guests, the Rebbe hosted guests. Zalman Jaffe would come to the Rebbe every short, the Rebbe hosted him. And in the Koilo, there was the apartments in the Koilo. And it became crazy. I mean, the people broke the locks, they went in, and everyone thought that everything belongs to them. It was the Rebbe's private, private space. And the Rebbe wrote a letter to Zalman Jaffe at one point saying, I must apologize that I cannot accommodate you because People don't respect private space, and the apartment which I have, which is designated for guests like you, is invaded by any yokel who needs a place to sleep. So the Rebbe says, don't come, because I cannot host you. And he wrote back to the Rebbe, of course I'm coming. I'm making my own arrangements. Salman Jaffe was not a battlin, and he wasn't, a, he wasn't another man. He made his own arrangements, but the Rebbe felt obligated to host him, probably for a decade, probably for 10 years. He would come shvuas, and the Rebbe would host him. Zalman Jaffe understood Yiddish. But I don't think Zalman Jaffe was a Talmud Chacham. I don't think he understood what the Rebbe was saying. I remember still, in other words, even though this is so much later, that Zalman Jaffe would sit next to his son-in-law and the Rebbe would ask Kashis and Rashi and they would turn to him, so how many Kashis are we holding? And he had to give a number. And Kashis could be 15 Kashis, 16 Kashis, 17 Kashis. And Shmuel Luz was like, I had to keep track and tell the Shver. In case the Rebbe knew how many kashas, and this was, this was part of his kiruv. When he came for Shavuos on the Shabbos before and the Shabbos after, the Rebbe would just turn to him out of the blue, in Yiddish. How many questions are we holding? And Zalman Shmuel would tell him, and he would tell the Rebbe, and the, and the Rebbe had nachas. I remember once the Rebbe asked him, how many questions? Okay, let's have a couple more, so we'll have toiv, 17 kashas. There was The sikh was gathered about about Bichas Kayin. Bichas Kayin has 15 words. So 15 words, stimmt 15 kashas. So I'll ask two more, maybe 17 kashas. So he, he was one of the regular features of the Rebbe, Shuas. By the time I was of age to remember, he came for Pesach, he came for Rosh Hashanah. He came for Rosh Hashanah for sure. But in the earlier years, before I could remember, he was a Shuas dicker. And he had two shtick that are both worth mentioning. One is Takash and the other is a Shus. He was drawn to Lubavitch for two reasons. Number one, he had a Zayde who used to walk to Lubavitch. He had a Zayde who used to walk to Lubavitch. And he, he knew that Zayde. And as a little child, his Zayde used to describe them literally, they walked from the shtetl where they lived to walk on foot. It took weeks to walk to Lubavitch. And in his childhood imagination, he imagined what it must be like to walk to Lubavitch. He grew up in Manchester. He was a modern man. Zalma Jaffe was from, but we'd call him today modern orthodox. But he had this childhood memories going to Rebbe, where the Minchi and Shemtiv came to Manchester, it was Rebbe Shliach. And he met Mr. Jaffe and he talked to him about Lubavitch. All those childhood memories came back to him and the idea of going to see the Rebbe became for him like a very exciting thing. The first time him and his wife took a trip on the St. Mary, uh, I think they'll St. Mary, it's a very famous luxury liner. And they stayed in Manhattan, they should stay in Crown Heights, this is inner city, 
and they came to see the Rebbe, but then they became Mamish Teshavim, they became regulars in Kran Heights, they became very comfortable. Um, and he would come to all the Fabreng Anishin. But the other thing he drew him to Lubavitch was the energy. Zalman Yafi was a friend And he loved the singing. <laughs> and he asked the Rebbe, how come nobody sings? So the Rebbe says to him, you sing. So when he was here, you see, you have to understand, this is hard for you to imagine. There was a time that they didn't sing who will who every Shabbos. There was a time, for sure, we never sang. But who they didn't sing? It was a big deal to get the Chazan to sing. So when Zalman was here, he would stand behind the Rebbe and he would start to sing. And the whole shul would give Maziak. I can't hear you. I'm not going into it. It's Lubavitch's shtick. It's uptight, frigid, Russian nervousness. If you don't understand it, you don't have those roots. I understand it. Um, um, some people can't bend. You know why? Because in the back of the shirt, they have a stick that runs from the back of the neck till the place where you sit, and it keeps the It's a rigid, it's a shtick. It's a mishagas. The Rebbe wanted we should sing, and it took years and years and years for people to start singing. The Russians were always angry that they were singing. It's so un improper, it's so not. <laughs> um, and the Rebbe was from the, he came from Russia. They couldn't understand how a Russian guy could be so loose, they didn't understand it. Um, so he would start to sing, and no one sang with him. And the Kev would look at him like, you <laughs> fool, you're singing by the Rebbe. It was just a serious place. <laughs> And one guy, I know this by the way, because I read his books, and I would, I would encourage you to read it if you want a very candid, realistic, human experience of 770. Read my encounter, my encounter with the Rebbe. They, he printed three volumes already. My encounter with the Rebbe. If you go online and Google my encounter with the Rebbe, you can download the whole collection. I downloaded all of them till 1992 or 94, every single one. The Rebbe made him write it and publish it. And after Gimbal Thomas, his grandchildren published three volumes of my encounter that goes probably through the mid-70s. They're wonderful reads, and they're so intimate. I read them, and I feel like I'm in 770, because he's not writing like a chassid. He was a chassid. But he was also a human being. And his, his humanity was never overshadowed by his fear of the Rebbe, you know, by his chassidists, like by most of us. So it's a very, very genuine, it's a very, very genuine depiction of 770. When you read his writings, the way it sounds, that's how it was. And he makes fun of people and he tells stories about the, the Mishra Goyim in 770. I mean, the, 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 edit, the published books, they took a lot of stuff out. The original My Encounter, I mean, he talks about his grandchildren losing their shoes and anybody who came from England and something happened to them, it's in his book and the whole world has to know 60 years on that this person had this unfortunate event happened to him in 770 in 1971 or something like that. Um, but they're very, they're d delicious. They're very wonderful. You can, if you go online and just Google My Encounter with the Rebbe, and it'll come up, you'll see all of them. They're all available. And you download the whole collection. They're very intimate. They're very wonderful to read. Really, really wonderful to read. Anyway, so he described, there was a guy named Sarge Fisher, a, a, a military guy, became a Balchova. He stood next to Zalman Jaffe in the front. He, I remember him. He lived in Grand Heights for many, many years. So when Jaffe would sing, Fisher would sing with him, and the whole show would say, oh, Anunusha. So Zalman Jaffe said, I don't understand you, Rebbe. You know, you talk about Simcha, and here I come. <laughs> I complain, how come no one sings? You tell me to sing, and when I sing, no one wants to sing with me. So the Rebbe says, you don't have to listen to them. Venish Nespal. If the Rebbe made once with his hand, the whole show sang. If Chas didn't make his hands, then Jaffe was a bad guy. 
They never wanted him to, to, to start the nigun, but he also wanted us to grow up. You, know, you, don't, you don't only sing because it ever says to sing. But that's how it was. I mean, he, his biggest complaint was he was invited to the Fiyadik He was always invited upstairs. And he says it was the most uncomfortable meal in the world. You're sitting at a table, everyone's sitting up there in jail. I mean, they're sitting at the same table with the Rebbe, so it's not so comfortable. But he wanted to sing. So he said, Rebbe, how come, by, you know, I, in my Shabbos table, we sing. How come your Shabbos table, they don't sing? So Rebbe says, you should start. So he would sing out loud, and no one sang with him. <laughs> this was, he was one of the, the features of, of Shuas. But there's another thing about Zalman Jaffi, and this is Taka Grace's Shuas. He always asked the Rebbe for more Fabrenians. Rebbe Fabrenian again. He would come for at least two Shabbos. The Shabbos before, the Shabbos after, and then Yom Tif sometimes more. He had Yechidus and the Rebbe, the Kiruvim that the Rebbe gave him are unimaginable. And he would ask them, maybe the Rebbe make an extra Fabrenian, the Shabbos before or the Shabbos after. And the Rebbe would tell him, I will try. You know, the Rebbe used to say, the only person who says, I will try, that actually does it is me. You know? Most people, they promise that they're going to do it, they don't do it. The person tells you, I'll try, it's basically already gave five. He says, but when I say, I will try, and that we, there are probably a dozen Fabrengans that we have in this chus of this man. Maybe a dozen as a guzman, but a lot. He would ask the Rebbe, the Rebbe wasn't planning to Fabreng, and then he would say, maybe the Fabreng again, and he had that kind of relationship with the Rebbe, and the Rebbe would give in. And that's one of the features of Shavuos. The result of this is, this is what I'm saying to you, Shavuos was a saturation of Torah, that's what it was. It was a saturation of Torah, it was a lot of Torah. By the early Rabbeim, it was four or five, my modern see this, and by the Rebbe it also was, but it wasn't in three days, it was over a week or ten days. You know, if you count from Erev Rishchidosh, seven, until the Shabbos after Shavuos, you can have five Fabrengans, which means five Maimorim, or even six, you know, depending on the year. It was Gepakt Metoira, Gepakt Metoira. The other feature of Shavuos was the Rabbonim, right? In Lubavitch, they used to call Shavuos Chagamatzis. Rabbonim could not come to the Rebbe Sukkot because there were all these Shailas and the Dalad Minim and the Sukkot. They couldn't come to the Rebbe Pesach, Pesach Tuchan Ashir Shailas. But the only Shaila on Shavuos is the cheesecake. If you have a fleshik oven, as most people had, can you kasher it to make cheesecake? The halacha is you're not allowed to kasher milchik to fleshiks. You're not allowed to do it. Even if you have a self-cleaning oven, halachically you're not allowed to change it. If you use your self-cleaning oven as fleshik, apidin you're not allowed to flip it by self-cleaning it because you're afraid you're going to make a mistake. The exception is the cheesecake and food. You're allowed to kasher a fleshik oven once a year, in a way that's basically it's it's, it's a it's a Liban Gomor, which is what self-cleaning is considered, even though some people are asking Shahs on it. And then it can be milchik, and you cash it again. But you're not allowed to do it. So that's the only Shavuot Shaila. I mean, the flowers and Shul, the Babbage don't even have flowers and Shul. But when you put the flowers, what kind of flowers do you put in Shul? There's not the Rabbani There's no Shaila Shavuot. So the Rabbani came to the Rebbe. I'm all in, in the earlier Doidos, they came to the earlier Rebbe in Fashtetzach. But here the Rabbani Shavuot was a Moya that Rabbani came. And the Rebbe used to acknowledge them. They came sometimes a week before in the Shchedish, and the Rebbe would buy the give them mashke. He would speak a sikhah to the Rabbana. The Rebbe very much wanted that the Rabbana from all over the world should get together and have a meeting where they could share ideas. And the Rebbe would often make proposals for discussions for the Rabbana. A Rav made a hero, girls, I don't know how to tell this to you. It's the single most important job in the Jewish people. A Rebbe, of course, besides for that. There's no position more responsible, 
and more earnest and more sacred and more maligned than a Rav who paskins Shailas. Not a Rabbi who makes speeches. I do that. A Rav who paskins Shailas. A Rav made it all. Yeshua Medini sits in his house and people come to him with Shailas. When you'll get married, you'll find out what Shailas means and how important a Rav is. A Rav has to be a Yerei Shamayim, a Rav has to be a Talmud Chochem, and a Rav has to be a nice person, has to be a mensch. It's a, it's, a, it's a special thing. And Arov is, he's the butt of every joke. He's the punching bag. In Lubavitch especially, what we do to our Rabbonim, it's like almost a mitzvah. You make him into Arov and then you ruin, you make him miserable. But we don't have exclusive rights to that in every community. It's the same story with Rabbonim. But by the Rebbe, Rabbonim were very important. When the Rebbe encouraged certain people to take the Ayanis, in other words, to study smicha, not like I studied smicha, but to actually become a, a rav, a rav, a pilot, was a very special thing. It was a very, very serious thing. And the Rabbanim came to the Rebbe. A lot of them, from Eretz Yisrael and from America. And the Rebbe would tat kazach And one of the areas of halacha the Rebbe would talk to, oftentimes around Shavuos, when the Rabbanim were here, was modern shilas, new technologies, you know, in medicine and in, and in, and in, and in, and in the kitchen. You have new appliances with new halachas that Rabbonim should familiarize themselves with the technology, familiarize themselves with the technology, so that they could be informed when it comes to paskinning a shayla. You know, a rav is not allowed to look at a shayla and say, if this is a pupik and this is a needle, then it's straight. He has to know what a pupik is, he has to know what a needle is. He has to familiarize himself. And this was one of the things that Rebbe talked about, not every year, but occasionally. And more than once I heard Rebbe discuss it talking to the Rabbanon that when you get together you should, kind of you should talk over. So that's a little bit on Shuas. My topic that I chose, just that was just an introduction, that was a hello. What I want to talk to you about, in other words, my Shuas in Yonah de Yoyma class with you is to talk about the six days or the seven days. The Rebbe brings in many Sikhs, the Shita Satur, that every day starting today, every day starting today is a Yom Tov. You know, from today till your base seven, we don't have And there's different opinions about why, but the Rebbe holds, it's not because of Shleishas Me'atbala, it's because every day is a different Yom Tov. Rishchidosh is one Yom Tov, base seven, which is tomorrow, is the second Yom Tov, Gimel seven, which is uh, Thursday is a third Yom Tif. Dalit Sivan, which is Friday, is a fourth Yom Tif. And Hay Sivan, which is Shabbos, was the fifth Yom Tif. Each one is a different Yom Tif. Uh, okay, you wanted to ask me a question. You said it would be a Yom Tif. Yeah. Uh, I asked you, who was Alman Jaffe? Who was Alman Jaffe? He was a Yid from Manchester, who the Rebbe had a special, special affinity for. It was very makad of him, who built Lubavitch in Manchester, whose children are shluchim. That's Alman Jaffe. Yep. And he came, you probably have, there's probably Jaffe's in this room. I mean, there's, there's a lot of Jaffe's. Anybody in the room Jaffe? Okay, we got one. Okay, you'll ask her so exactly who Alman Jaffe was. There's a lot of, there's five generations at this point. From one couple, from one couple. If they had stayed modern Orthodox, they would have had two kids. Each one of those two kids would have had a, maybe a kid. And uh, that's what it would have been. But never became Lubavitchers, and then they had kind of other children the way you're supposed to have. Go ahead. Oh, I'm not discussing halacha. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm not at all. Speak to your local rabbi. Um, I'm sorry. It's not my job. And it's not my expertise. Um, so I want to talk to you about these yomtifs. What is the yomtif of Rish Chedish? 
What's the Yom Tov of Beis? What's the Yom Tov of Gimel? What's the Yom Tov of Dal? What's the Yom Tov of Hay? What's the Yom Tov of Vav? That's my class. That's my lecture. What happened today? <laughs> Today's a Shchedesh, and it's Tuesday. That year, according to the Rabbana, was Monday. Right? The Gemara says, the Kula Alma B'Shabbos Nitna Teda. The Gemara said the Shabbos, the Teda was given on Shabbos. We're having Shavuos on Sunday. Yidin left Mitzayim Thursday, right? This year Pesach was Shabbos. We have Shavuos on Sunday and Monday. But the Gemara says, B'Kula Alma B'Shabbos Nitna Teda. Everybody agrees the Teda was given on a Shabbos. Is a machlekes whether it was the seventh of Sivan, in which case they arrived on Sunday, or it was the sixth of Sivan, in which case they arrived on a Monday, and that's the shita that most people go with because that's shita of the Chachamim of the Rebbe. Rabbi Yaisi is the Das Yochid who says that it was Zion. What happened today? They traveled from Rafidim to Sinai. They took a trip. The whole Jewish nation, several million people, had to pack up all their belongings and take a walk, come to a new location, and park. They went from a place called Rafidim to a place called Sinai, and it wasn't very far. It could have been as little as a kilometer, a mil, a very short walk. And they traveled from Lofidim, they came to Sinai, and they all rested. And, it, and the Gemara says, you know what happened on that day? Nothing happened. Nothing. The expression of the Gemara is, Hashem didn't tell them anything, because they were exhausted from their trip. Nothing happened. Yidin came to Har Sinai, and you have to remember, They've been counting days, right? We count Oymer because they counted Svido. They were counting the days. They were so excited. They knew the Sev Chamishim Yayim. They knew that 50 days after they go out of Mitzvah, they're going to marry the Abishter and get his Torah and become connected to him and so on and so forth. They were counting the days. So they arrived on the location. And they come right to Moshe. They knew Moshe, what's going on? And Moshe says, come back tomorrow. Today there's nothing. Why? You're tired. We're tired. We walked a kilometer. We're ready to work. Give us something to do. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. You know, it's like the story that was about to be a Gzeda, and the Rebbe got together little children, and he said, The Gzeda was in his battle. What happened? Nothing happened. Yeah? So nothing is not nothing. Sometimes nothing is much more than something. And that's how the Rebbe explains it. The Rebbe in the Sikh Chedekhavches, one of my favorite Sikhs, page 7. Good Sikh Chedekhavches, page 7. He says, Hashem didn't tell them anything because they were tired from the trip. Is they tired from the trip? Every time the Jews traveled, physically, they traveled spiritually. And usually when they traveled, they were busy fight, fighting and arguing and complaining. They were arguing with one another about what the travel means. And they were complaining to the Abishter what the Abishter wants from them. When they came to Har Sinai, there was no tarumis, they had no complaints to God, no machlaikis, they had no differences with one another. They achieved as one man with one heart. So the Rebbe says that journey was exhausting. To come to a place where finally, <laughs> finally Hashem tells them to move. And they're not complaining that Hashem is moving them too quick. And they're not arguing about what the meaning of the move is. That was what happened that day. The, 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 the reason they were tired from the trip was not the walk. It was the Pnimiz Dika of coming to a place where they can all be happy about listening to the Ebishter and they can all agree with one another about the meaning of what the Ebishter wants. And that's the Pshat, like, he told them nothing, they were tired from taking the spiritual journey to the Madrege of being as one man with one heart. But then the Rebbe says it deeper, that the meaning of the words means the, the journey of Bittl, Chush means weakness. So the Rebbe translates Chush like the word Bittl, they traveled on a road to Bittl. 
And the Rebbe says when a person is in a state of bittal, you can't give him instructions. Because you give them instructions, they argue, what, what, what does it mean? <laughs> and how do you do it? So you have 600,000 Jews, 600,000 opinions. So the Chuzorcha means they journey to a place called the Bittel. They journey to a place where they were all submissive to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And the Abisha didn't tell them anything because when you're in a state of Bittel, Hashem doesn't want to, quote, ruin it by them using their minds to understand what he means and what they should do with it and so on and so forth. So the Shchaydish Nisan, Tzivin, which is today, is a Yomtev. It's the Yomtev of nothing. That's why it's the Yomtev, but it's the Yomtev of nothing, which is more than something. It's the Yomtev of Bittel. The Yidden became nothing, which is how they achieved which was the first step of preparation for Matan The Rebbe says, to be a Jew, you need two things. A, <laughs> turn your brain off. B, turn your brain back on. Turn your brain off means that when it comes to the Ebesh Nasavanishma. Turn your brain back on after you accept. Now you need to understand and you need to argue. If you and the guy next to you or the rabbi next to you disagrees, you tell him what you think. Because you have to understand and you have to come to the truth and you have to know how to practice and so on. So the Rebbe says the Hachon of involves both. Turning the brain off to have bittel and turn the brain back on to use your mind to understand what the Ebishter wants. The first part of that preparation was today. So today is a Shchedish. We wouldn't say Tachnan anyway. But today is a Yomtev. It's the Yomtev of Achtas Yisrael, the Yomtev of Jewish unity, which is a great, great, great miracle. Anybody who knows Jews knows how big a miracle that is. But the Pneum is that miracle was that Yidin achieved the bittel. That's what happened today. Okay? What's tomorrow? Tomorrow's Bay Simon. Bay Simon, you look at every calendar, it says Yoim Amiyuchas, the day of our Yichas. Okay, in plain, simple English, this is the day that we became the chosen people, or the hated people, and those two go together. <laughs> Today is the Atavachatonu, tomorrow, Wednesday. Bay Simon is the day that Abisha told us. You're going to be mine, special. I'm going to have a special relationship with you, different than other nations. The Jewish people are going to be chosen. And uh, the, the, the technical history is as follows. According to Rashi, at least, I know that Rabban doesn't agree, but according to Rashi, at least, Moshe had a rule. He only went up to Hashem very early in the morning, after his coffee, before his morning coffee, is to say. Moshe didn't go up during the day. If he went up and he came down, he didn't go up a second, but until the next morning. So the Shchaydish Tivan, he didn't go up the mountain because they arrived in the afternoon. The next morning, he climbed up to the top of the mountain and he says to the Abish, Anu, <laughs> I don't know how he addressed the Abish there, but the Gemara says <laughs> he didn't say hello and the Abish was insulted. How come he has no derecheres and he has no menschlichkeit? So Meshach Rabbeinu said, that in my, where I come from, a slave doesn't say good morning to his master. It's considered rude. So the Abish says to Meshach, you should tell me good morning. <laughs> tell me good morning. What's machte? And Moshe Rabbeinu tells him good morning, which is a whole, I'll give him a brach, which is a beautiful, beautiful story. But Moshe comes the second morning, and he doesn't say hello. He shows up, and he tells the Abish, okay, so what? What's going to happen now? And the Abish basically, and I know this is going to be colloquial, this is going to sound simplistic and silly and imaginative, but it's, it's really a crisp way to bring out the story. He handed him a contract. It wasn't a written contract, it was a spoken contract, but he had a contract. And the contract says 
Hashem Yidin. You know, there's a lot of communities of Jews that actually have a, a version of this Ksuba. What the Kosten is offering, the Kalev or the Kalev. They read it on Shavuot, we don't read it. Avraham has a song. I think we made a song out of it. Hakel Shalav Akayam. Avraham Fried has a song based on this Ksuba with Yidin the Ebishter. But we, it's not in our, it doesn't come from the Ariza, it's not in our Nusach. They have a contract. What's the contract? The contract says what God is offering, what the Jewish people are offering. God says to the Jewish people as follows, I'm going to make you my favorite. You're going to be Segula, which means my treasure. You're going to be Mamlachas Koyedim, a kingdom of priests. The Goyed Kodesh, a holy nation. I'm going to make you my own. That's the deal. And there's a caveat to that. There's a very small, important piece of fine print, which is, I'll never change my mind. Hashem wrote into the contract, you agree to my terms. You're going to be my segula. means my oitzachavah, my treasure. And my kingdom of priests and my holy people. And I will never, ever disown you. No matter what you do, I'm not going to throw you away. Hashem will never replace with another nation. This is what I'm offering. This is Hashem's estimation. But then there's the other column, right? But the Jews are offering. Hashem says, you want what I'm offering? Here's what I want from you. I'm going to give you a teira mitzvah. And you're going to keep it forever, all of it. Now there's a small problem. What's the small problem? God lives forever, we don't. So we have to commit, right? We have to commit to raise our children. That 3,300, and how many years since Mount Tate are we? Uh, 34 years, 3,334 years. Since last year was 3333, it was kind of cool, right? 3,331 data, we're going to still teach it to our kids. We're bound. And the Abish says to the Jews, you're making the same deal I'm making. This, you can't get out of this. There's no divorce in this marriage. No, 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 not in this one. If you make a commitment, I'm not letting you out of the marriage. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to hold on to you, including do unpleasant things. This is the piece of paper that Hashem handed Moshe Rabbeinu proverbially. It said the Abishta's offer. And at the base of that offer, and I'll use the key word, it's a covenant, it's a bris. I promise I'll never change my mind. And the Abish is good in his word. And we have to return that with a covenant of our own. I promise I'll never change my mind forever and ever and ever. Me, my children, my grandchildren, I'll save Kala Dedis, are dedicated, are loyal, are mandated to continue this relationship. So Moshe took the contract to the Jews. He's the lawyer, right? He's the arbitrator, he's in between. He takes the contract to the Jewish people and he gathers them all together and he reads the contract. How do the Jews respond? One word, one word, one word, just one, not two, one. Nasa, we're in, we commit. Wait till the end of the class, yeah? So Moshe waits till the next morning. Now it's Wednesday morning, Gimel Sivan. He climbs back up. He tells the Eivishter again, I don't know if he told him good morning, he just shows up. <laughs> they, they signed. The Eivishter has to sign, get in time. we're in. So the Eivishter says, good. Let's make a meeting. <laughs> let's make a meeting. So wait, so let's be clear about it. Today is a yomtiv because nothing happened, right? Tomorrow is a yomtiv. This is called Yoyim Yuchas. Jewish identity begins on day seven. That's tomorrow. 
This is the day we became chosen. And we committed to God forever. And he's not going to let us off the hook? Absolutely not. He won't. He's not going to let one Jew get lost. Right? When you say, uh, no Jew will be left behind, the Abish is going to see to it. Because that was the contract we signed with him thousands of years ago. Even though the people who signed that contract are dead and buried for thousands of years. But to the Abish, it's all the same. We are there. We are them in different bodies. So that's why Beis Sivan is a young Gimel Sivan is again a young Because Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Abish that the Yidin agree. And the Abish says, okay, let's make a meeting. What's such a meeting? The Abish didn't show up to the meeting. Huh? No. And the Yidin are going to show up to the meeting. And they're going to sit together at a table. They're going to have a lawyer. The lawyer is going to be Meshad Abeinu. Somehow Meshad Abeinu was a lawyer for both sides. When I, my wife, was on his I bought a home. We had three lawyers. The buyer's lawyer, the seller's lawyer, and the bank's lawyer. And Allah gamachel. Um, but they didn't need three lawyers. Meshad Abeinu was good for the buyer and for the seller and for the bank. There was no bank involved because there was no money involved. It was given for free in the desert, like it says in Gemara and Rambam. And I shall make a meeting. So Moshe says to Abish, so what's going to happen at the meeting? Hashem says to Moshe, here's going to happen at the meeting. You and I are going to talk. You and I are going to talk. The Jews are going to stand and watch. They're not going to hear a word. They're not going to understand what we're saying. But they're going to see that I'm talking to you. And there's going to be two advantages of this. Number one, the fact that they see me talking to you is going to raise your honor in their eyes. They're going to need you because they're going to know that they have no direct communication with Abish. It's through you. You're the medium, right? You're the Navi. You're the prophet. And the second advantage is they really don't want to sit with me at the same table. They don't want to meet me face to face. It'll kill them. <laughs> Right? Meeting the Abish at the same table is like walking into the sun. So Hashem says, that's what's going to happen. We'll have a meeting. We'll invite the Jews. <laughs> They'll stand around, literally outside of a fence. I'll talk to you. They're not going to hear the conversation. But they'll see. They'll see. They'll know. They'll witness. They'll be aidists to the fact that I am talking to you. This very important thing, all the halachas of Nevuah are predicated on this edis, that the Jews will witness that Hashem talked to Meshach Rabbeinu. They're going to be witnesses that I'm talking to you. It's going to raise your honor in their eyes and it's going to keep them alive. In other words, girls, what Hashem said to Meshach is, when I talk to a person that's called Nevuah, the Jewish people are not ready for Nevuah. They're not ready. They're not pure. They're not holy. They're not clean. They're not ready for Nevuah. If they'll experience Nevuah, the system is going to short circuit. So they're not going to become Nevim. I'm going to talk only to you. The Abish was being very realistic. Abish was being very practical, very realistic. A, they're entitled to be at the meeting. B, it wouldn't be a good idea to participate in the meeting because they have to hear the Abish which we see the Abish which would be kind of difficult. So Hashem says to Meshach Rabbeinu, I'm going to talk to you. They're simply going to witness the conversation. And that's enough. This is what Hashem says, okay? Hashem says. This was when? On Wednesday, Gimel Sivim. This is called in Shulchan Aruch, Mitzvah's Hagbalah, the mitzvah of the fence, of the fence. To separate Yidin from the place where the conversation is taking place. They're in the same room, but they're behind the Mechitzah. 
They watch Hashem talk to Moshe, but they don't participate in the conversation. This was on Wednesday, Gimel Sivan. So Gimel Sivan is a yomtif that the Abishta said, I'm going to talk to the Prophet, and only to the Prophet, but the Jews are going to witness that conversation. And this is a very, very big part of our Messiah, of our tradition, is the credibility of Nevoah, which is based on the credibility of Meshach Rabbeinu, which is based on the credibility of Eidos. We don't believe prophecy because of miracles. We believe prophecy because we're witnesses that Hashem spoke to Moshe. This is on Wednesday, Gimel Sivan. Okay, Moshe comes out of the mountain. He gathered the Jewish people. He says, hey, Chavra, Sivan Abbasi. On Thursday, there'll be a meeting. The Abish is coming to the meeting. You're coming to the meeting. And I'm coming to the meeting. But here's the reality. You're not ready to speak to God. You're really not ready to speak to God. You're not. Uh, 50 days ago, 60 days ago, you were Shaku and Memtes Shari Tuma, you were immersed in all kinds of Tuma, you never speak to the Abish, So you'll watch. And the Yidden said to Meshach Rabbeinu, the famous words, they say, Nein, this is Malkeinu. If we can't talk to the Abish, there's no deal. If we cannot meet him face to face and talk, there's no deal. And Meshach says, you know, I think the Abish is pretty smart. It was his idea. It wasn't my idea. It was his idea that you shouldn't participate in the meeting. Because you're not ready for this. And he didn't say, whatever it costs, if we cannot meet the Abish face to face, we're not going through it. And what's weird about it is, Moshe knows that Hashem is right. But he's so proud of the Jewish people that they're, they're going on a suicide mission. They're going to die to meet God. He thinks that's kind of cool. So Moshe knows that this is a bad idea. But he's so excited about this bad idea, he runs up the following morning, which is now Thursday, Daleks even, and he recruits at Eibishter. They don't like the terms. If they're signing contract with you, you and them are going to talk direct. I'll be there, and I'll be the Mashgiach to me on the premises, but you have to talk to them. And Eibishter says to Moshe, you're going to live to regret this. But fine. They want it, they can have it. And it's called mitzvah prisha. That's what Dawat Sivit is called. If Gimel Sivit is called mitzvah sakbola, putting up fences, keeping Yidin away, Dawat Mitzvah should make yourself holy. You know how long it takes to become a Navi girls? Take a wild guess. How long does it take to become a Navi in this? A lifetime! The Jews got 48 hours. You imagine that? 48 hours. Oh, men, women, and children. Not just the Rashi Shivas and the Grace of Tzadikim. Every one of them. 48 hours, including the Eid of Rav. 48 hours. Make yourself holy. Become a Novi. In Chumash it says, I'll take you Elisha. But they had to do some serious soul searching. 48 hours to be a prophet. And of course we all know how that story ended. Okay, so now they're very busy. They're going to Mikveh and they're studying Zoyar and they're doing Iskafia and they're fasting and they're doing Tshuva and they're apologizing for all the chesreinus that created the meat, it's got 48 hours to be ready to become a Navi. It takes a lifetime, and that 48 hours. Anyway, the next day is Friday, it's Hay 7, and the Yidna are busy with Sakamatani, so the Yidna are very busy with their precious, and Moshe interrupts them. And Moshe does something very, very, very important. Friday, Hay 7, all the Jewish people became Gedim. They were converted. How do you convert? How do you become a Gedim? Number one, you have to have a Brismila if you're male. 
Number two, you have to go to the mikveh. Number three, you have to accept mitzvahs. And number four, you have to bring a carbon. The bris mila they did because they couldn't call b'neich aleichah, but can't carbon pesach if you have no bris. So the bris was out of the way. The bris mila was not a problem, except for the few babies that were born in a couple of weeks between Lef and Simon now. Meshach brings a carbon, and he sprinkles the blood of the Jewish people, and the Gemara says, and Asher brings it, you never sprinkle blood on a person in the base of Mikdash, unless he went to the mikveh first. So the whole Jewish nation, the Yanganging, he tabled in the mikveh. And Meshach Rabbeinu reads what's called Sefer Habris. There's an argument of what Sefer Habris is. Some people say it's the contract, and now the Yidin say Nasa Venishma. Not Nasa, Nasa Venishma. So in the middle of the 48 hours of their being so holy and busy doing tshuva and trying to make up for a lifetime of being shaku and avedizah to get ready to become a nobi emes, Meisha interrupts them and he is megayah them. He collectively converts them and their kabbalah samitzvahs, they're committed to do mitzvahs called Nasev and Friday night, what do the Jews do? They were done already. They did 36 hours of this holy stuff and they were finished. Yeah, they were exhausted. Young Shlof. <laughs> so the Rebbe says, Really? That's why they went to sleep? That's silly. If they knew, as I'm, as I'm dramatizing it for you, that 48 hours to become the Viv, they wouldn't have slept that night. But they made a cheshbin that it says in Chazal that when a person sleeps, and it draws life. And they thought they're better off asleep. Let the neshama go to Gan Eden. And in Gan Eden, they're going to learn the whole Tehran, they're going to experience all kinds of godliness. The neshama in Gan Eden will accomplish much more while they sleep than they can accomplish consciously. And by the way, there's an argument to be made that because it was before Matan Tehran, they were right. It's only we're after Matan Tehran, that's where we stay up and learn the Tehran, but they didn't have the Tehran yet. So they may have been correct in their assessment and their judgment that tonight, sleep, not sleep so you should rest, Sleep in the you'll draw a lakus in a way that you cannot be prepared. And the chosen showed up early to the chuppah. The chosen came on time. What's the day? is a misnagid. But he came on time. What's the day? is a chosid, huh? That he made one shir and didn't say a single chiddush. Every one of the sadists that was doing the chosid was a misnagid. The day the chosid. What's the day? was a fadi. He was doing a lot of singing. So everybody's happy or insulted or whatever you want. The chassan shows up, Meshach Rabbeinu wakes the Yidin up and schleps them out of the camp. And the world is shaking. And the Yidin walk up to the situation, yeah, they watch Negevaser, and they said, Meida'ani, and Meshach Kitchonu, with all the good Zachim, said Shema Yisrael, everything. They brush their teeth, I don't know if they ate breakfast or not. Very important, Meshach Rabbeinu. But I don't know if they had a chance that morning. And they say, you know, was this, was this a good idea? They're, they're thinking to themselves, was this a good idea? That we should talk to Hashem direct, rather than go through the lawyer. But it's too late, right? The in is in. And the Abisha starts to speak, which means they experience Nevoah. And their souls go flying out of their bodies. One times, two times, three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times, eight times, nine times, ten times. Now, I never had an experience of the neshama leaving the goof and the malacham go and they select them and bring them back and put them back into the goof using tal tchir. But after 10 times, the Jews said to Moshe, you know what? Let's go back to plan A. You be the prophet. You be the prophet. We'll go home and live a life. You'll tell us what God says and we'll believe you. 
So the Chumash says what? That Moshe was so disappointed. Moshe was so disappointed. Moshe, you know, is a pasuk in Chumash. Me eat and call on Moshe Nevi'im. I, I love every Jew to be a prophet. Moshe wasn't afraid that he's going to lose his position of all Yidna Nevi'im. He was, was, was delighted by the idea. He knew it was crazy, but he was excited at the same time. And then when the Yidna quit, because they only, why? Why did they quit? Because they died. So, so you die, but you're, not, you're going to give up on the Vua because you're going to die. So Hashem says to Meshach Rabbeinu, Hetiv was Hashem Dibbeinu. They're right. But the way it's understood, the words Hetiv means double meaning. They were right to ask to be Nevi'im when they got to Aseres Adibris. And they're right that the rest of the Torah, Teresh Bekzav and Teresh they should get through you. Both were right. The decision of the Tzeneinu Elinus Asmalkeinu was the correct one. And the decision to say it's enough. Shuvu lachem lachem. Go live normal lives. And the Va'atapeya made imadi. Meishet Rabbeinu is going to stand with Nebishta and Yidin to bring to us Dvar They were right to want to speak to me directly to the Senes Adibris. And they're right that the rest of the ten they're going to get from you. And that's why each day is a Yom Tif. It's a different Yom Tif, right? It's the day of nothing. It's the day of Yichis. It's the day of fences. It's the day of holiness. It's the day of Geros. And the day of Matan Tevet. Six days, six Yom Tevet. Okay, Kabbalah, Satera, Vesimcha, Bapimis.